A quote I came across uh, recently went like this, and it said, God created the whole world in six days, but he used 40 days to instruct Moses about the tabernacle. <laughs> Little over one chapter was needed to describe the structure of the world in Genesis 1, but six chapters were used for the structure of the tabernacle. Now, I think it's safe to say that uh, the tabernacle is not one of those topics that uh, gets Christians today very excited. You're probably not going to see many popular books on this subject or churches advertising a sermon series or a conference on this theme. Now, uh, why is that? There may be various reasons, but uh, I suspect the primary one would be one of relevance. I mean, the tabernacle has no relevance to us today, does it? So why should we be interested in knowing more about it? You know, do all those details given in the Old Testament about the tabernacle, you know, its, its structure, its uh, sections, its furnishings, uh, the garments of the priests, all those details, do they really matter to us? Now, I'm not saying those details are unnecessary. They were given by God himself, revealed to us in his word. But what can happen sometimes is we can get so bogged down in the details that we miss the bigger picture. The whole point or reason as to why something is given to us in the scriptures and how does it fit into the larger context of the Bible. And this can happen not only in relation to the tabernacle but uh, other issues in the Bible as well. So this morning I would like to briefly consider the subject of the tabernacle. But don't worry, not its structure or its furnishings or the garments of the priests or the different stones that were used. Again, not that those things are not important. There are things we can learn from them. But I don't believe that those are the things with which we should start with. Because if we start there, we will probably end there. Because none of those things will make sense or seem relevant until we understand the larger context or the greater purpose. So what is the tabernacle all about? Why did God take 40 days to instruct Moses? Why were six chapters used to talk about this tabernacle? In other words, what's so great about a tent? Exodus chapter 25, hopefully you have your Bibles open there already. Now, as we uh, look into some verses here in the book of Exodus, it's important for us to know the context. You know, the God of the Bible is presented as a God of relationships, one who desires to be in communion or fellowship with his people. And at this point in the narrative, the Israelites were God's chosen people, starting with God's covenant back in Genesis chapter 12 with a man named Abram, the narrative of the Old Testament so far has been focused on this specific group of people. In God's sovereignty, he chose them as his own to serve him and to represent him among the various nations of the world. And in Genesis, we read of their beginnings and their history through the patriarchs, names like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which may be familiar to many of us. But when we come to the book of Exodus, we see God's chosen people in a very difficult situation. They are enslaved by the Egyptians. But we also see how God miraculously rescued them. And he is in the process of leading them to the promised land, which is part of the covenant that he made with Abraham back in Genesis 12. But of course, the Israelites, being human beings due to their lack of faith and their repeated disobedience, 
getting to the promised land was not easy. They were made to wander in the wilderness. And one of the major themes of the book of Exodus is the relationship that God was establishing with these people. That's in fact why God redeemed them from Egypt. That's why he made a covenant with them. That's why he showed patience with them despite their repeated rebellion and disobedience. And starting in Exodus chapter 20, God gives laws to Moses. And in chapter 24, he affirms or really reaffirms his covenant with Israel. And then we come to our portion in chapter 25. Now in the verse seven verses, uh, the first seven verses that were read to us, we see God is asking them to bring various uh, materials. But what I want to focus on is verse eight. What was the purpose or the reason for those offerings, for those materials? Verse eight. And let them, God says, make me a sanctuary that I may dwell, or literally, live among them that I may dwell or live among them this is the first truth that we are told regarding this tabernacle or this tent it reveals the desire of God and what is the desire of God here well the verse tells us he wants to live or dwell with his people now we read that verse and we kind of maybe gloss over it but Think about this in the context of the nation Israel. God, the creator of the universe, the supreme one of heaven and earth, the all-powerful, all-knowing, mighty, holy one, wants to dwell with these sinful, imperfect, rebellious, disobedient people. Now, it's certainly not because the people deserved it. You know, back in Exodus chapter 14, we read of the story of the crossing of the Red Sea. But just one chapter later, when we come to chapter 15, the people are already complaining. And in chapter 16, they're even saying, it would have been better if we had died in Egypt. These are the same people who just a few chapters later in Exodus 32, are going to make a golden calf, breaking the first of God's Ten Commandments, not to have any other gods. So why then would God want to dwell with people like this? Well, it's because of who God is. A God who desires fellowship and communion, not because of who the people are, but because of who He is. You know, I always thought that the uh, primary purpose of the tabernacle was so that people could worship God. And of course, worship was a very important activity. I would say the most important activity that was done in the tabernacle. But if you think about it, people were worshiping God long before Exodus 25, long before the tabernacle came along. Uh, In Genesis 4, we read of Abel offering a sacrifice in worship. In Genesis 22, when Abraham is taking his son Isaac to offer him on the mountain, he tells his servants that what he is about to do is an act of worship. So a person could worship God even before the tabernacle was built. But the very reason God instructed Moses and the people to erect this tabernacle was so that it could be a place where God could dwell with his people in a visible way. In fact, the very word tabernacle itself means to dwell or take up residence. And I say that this was God's desire because it was his idea. It was not the people's idea. 
You know, it's not that Moses or the children of Israel suggested to God, God, why not you dwell with us? In fact, to them, the very idea of God dwelling with man, with people, would have been inconceivable. You know, back in Exodus 19, we see God revealed himself to the people on Mount Sinai in thunder and lightning and smoke and fire. And in chapter 19, verse 16, we read that all of the people in the camp trembled at this sight. So they were not about to suggest that God dwell with them after experiencing God in this way. The tabernacle was not about man's desire to be with God, but it's about God's desire to be among his chosen people. And as he dwelt among them, what would God do? Well, look at chapter 25 of Exodus and verse 22. It's not just that God is going to dwell among them, but in verse 22 we read, There God says, I will meet with you. I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim which are on the ark of the testimony, about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. So God is saying, not only am I going to dwell with you, but I'm going to reveal more of myself to you. Moses, as God's, as God's representative to the people, would meet God there, and he would make known God's will, God's commandments, God's word to the people. So the tabernacle was a place where God could communicate with his people. And what's he going to communicate? Well, we read in verse 22. I will speak with you, the end of verse 22, about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. In other words, God is saying, I'm going to reveal my will to you there my commandments, what I want you to do, what I don't want you to do, what, how I want you to live, my promises, my blessings. So the tabernacle was not just a place where God was going to dwell, it was a place where God was going to communicate. Now it was also a place where the priests could approach God and intercede for the people. Look at Exodus chapter 27. One of the main functions of the priests was to offer sacrifices and make atonement for sin. Actually, Exodus chapter 29. Chapter 29 and verse 38. Exodus 29 and verse 38. You know, in chapters 27 and 28, God gives instructions regarding the, uh, tab regarding the altars of the offerings that should be built. And in chapter 28, he gives instructions regarding the different garments that the priests have to wear. So what was the main function of the priests? Exodus 29 and verse 38. This is what you shall offer, God tells the priests, on the altar. Two lambs of the first year, day by day, continually. Look at verse 42. This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, before the Lord, where I will meet you to speak with you. Look at verse 44. So I will consecrate the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. I will consecrate both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priests. So not only was it a place where God could communicate with his people, but it was a place where the priests could intercede for the people, or could intercede for, on behalf of the people to God. And how important was this to God? Well, look at chapter 29, verse 45. 
I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them up out of the land of Egypt that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. So the very reason that God brought the children out of, of Israel out of Egypt was not simply because he felt sorry for them or he took pity on them. This verse clearly says the very reason I delivered them, I sent all those plagues, I allowed them to cross the Red Sea, the reason I destroyed Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea, why was that? It was all because of my desire that I would dwell among them. And as God dwelt among them, as we read, of course, he would communicate to them and the priests on behalf of the people could minister to God. One author has put it this way, the Israelites certainly had to understand the transcendence of God. They could never reach God who was in the heaven of heavens. But the tabernacle also made them realize the nearness of God whose dwelling place was with them. How can it be that this God who dwells in the heaven of heavens is now dwelling in this earthly tent? So the first thing we are told about the tabernacle is that it reveals the desire of God. The desire of God to be in such close fellowship with his people that he is described as dwelling or living among them. Come to Exodus chapter 40. Exodus chapter 40. And as we're turning there, we are skipping over chapters 35 to 39 that give very specific details of the structure and the furnishings and the different sections of the tabernacle. And as I mentioned before, it's not that those are not important, but our purpose this morning is to understand the big picture regarding the tabernacle rather than the intricate details. Now Exodus 40 begins with an instruction to set up the tabernacle on New Year's Day. Exodus 40 and verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, On the first day of the first month you shall set up the tabernacle at the tent of meeting. So they do so. And what do we read in verses 34 and 35? Exodus 40, 34. They set up the tabernacle and verse 34 says, The cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Verse 35, And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle because the cloud rested above it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Here we see another truth about the tabernacle. It did not only reveal the desire of God, but it also revealed the glory of God. The end of verse 34, The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The same phrase repeated at the end of verse 35. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now, what exactly do we mean by the glory of the Lord? Well, back in Exodus chapter 33, Moses himself had requested to see God's glory. Uh, come back for a moment to Exodus chapter 33 and verse 18. Exodus 33 and verse 18. Moses says here, to God, please show me your glory. Now look at verse 20. God says to Moses, as noble a request as that may be, he said, you cannot see my face for no man shall see me and live. In other words, I can show you, but then I'll have to kill you, right? <laughs> verse 22, 
So it shall be, while my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So the glory of the Lord here is described in human terms as being the very face of God. You know, as human beings, we often identify someone not by their hands or feet or anything else, but by their face. Their face is what tells us who they are. So the glory of the Lord here is the very essence of who God is. The sum total of all His attributes and His nature and His character, His perfections. And God is telling Moses, the very essence of who I am is so great that not even you, who has been in such close communion with me, can see me as I am in my original nature or form. You know, 1 Timothy 6.16 says, God dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see. So God told Moses, I can't show you my face, but I can show you my back, which was figurative for partial versus full revelation. In effect, what God was saying is, I can show you my glory to an extent. You can experience my glory as you experience my attributes towards you. My goodness, my graciousness, my compassion, my love, my forgiveness. But the full extent of who I am, you cannot see or you will die. So coming back to Exodus chapter 40, when we read that the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, what would that have meant to the Israelites? Well, it represented that God Almighty, the totality of who He was, of all His attributes and His nature and His perfection, was now in the midst of the people. And although they could not see Him or approach Him in their human form, when they saw the cloud covering the tabernacle, they would be reminded that the living God, the Creator of heaven and earth, was in their midst. Not just a little bit of Him or certain parts of Him, but all of who he was, in all his splendor and majesty. And that's why not even Moses, who had such close communion with God, was able to enter. So that's the second thing the tabernacle reveals. Not only does it reveal the desire of God, but it reveals the glory of God. And one author puts it this way, Moses had seen the glory of God in the burning bush. He had seen God's glory in the plagues and exodus of Israel. He alone had seen the glory of God from inside the cloud atop Mount Sinai. At his request, he has seen even more of God's glory when he was privileged to view the backside of God. But the glory of God here in the tabernacle in Exodus 40 was greater than any glory which Moses or any of the Israelites could behold. Thus, the glory of God which now abided in the presence of the Israelites was the greatest glory known to man at this point in time. And that's why it says there in verse 35, even Moses, as interceder, as representative of the people, was not able to enter because of the glory of the Lord. So the tabernacle shows us the desire of God, it shows us the glory of God, but it shows us one more thing. Exodus 40 verse 36. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, they did not journey till the day that it was taken up. Verse 38, 
For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day, and fire was over it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Yes, the tabernacle did show the desire of God to dwell and communicate with His people. Yes, the tabernacle did show the glory of God that was too awesome for human beings to view. But here we also see the tabernacle revealed the very presence of God. Now, the cloud is nothing new to the children of Israel. We are told back in Exodus chapter 13 that the Lord went before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. In chapter 14, we are told that the cloud went behind them to cause confusion to the Egyptians who were pursuing them. So what's different about the cloud here in chapter 40? Well, what's different is what was once far away atop Mount Sinai or before them or behind them is now in the very midst of them. See, up to this point, the cloud has either been above them, it has been before them, or it has been behind them. But now in Exodus 40, the cloud is in the very midst of them. In other words, God's visible presence is closer than it has ever been. And remember, this manifestation of God's presence above the tabernacle was after Israel's great sin of the golden calf back in chapter 32. So the children of Israel now had a specific place they could look to to be reminded of God's presence. Despite their sin, despite their complaining, despite their rebellion, despite their wayward ways, God's presence was with them. And was it a momentary presence? No. What does the end of verse 38 say? The cloud of God was above the tabernacle by day, the fire was over it by night, the end of verse 38, throughout all their journeys. It was a continual abiding presence of God. So the book of Exodus ends, the very last verse in the book of Exodus ends with the picture of God dwelling with His covenant people, leading them to the land that ultimately He has promised them. So that's what I believe the big picture of the tabernacle is about. God's desire... God's glory and God's presence. Now all that's well and good, but uh, what does that have to do with us today? Well, I believe the answer to that question comes first of all with understanding how the tabernacle fits into the overall context of the Bible, specifically in terms of those three things, God's desire, God's glory, and God's presence. Did God continue to desire to dwell and communicate with his people? Or was it just with the Israelites back in Exodus? We'll come to the Gospel of John chapter 1. The Gospel of John chapter 1. And look at verses 12 and <clears throat> 13. You know, if the, if the tabernacle remains just an abstract concept in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus, well, that really doesn't help us, does it? John's Gospel chapter 1 and verse 12. And what does John what does John write here? He says in one verse twelve, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of the will or desire of God. So did God continue to desire to dwell with man? Absolutely. 
And that's why John says, God sent his son Jesus into this world. And the verse very clearly tells us it was not because of the will of man or the will of flesh, but it was because of the will or the desire of God. Salvation was something that God took the initiative for, not man. Well, what about God's glory? Well, look at the very next verse, verse 14. And the word that is Jesus Christ became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, the word dwelt there in verse 14, if you look at the original, it's really the word tabernacled. So what the Apostle John is saying is, God tabernacled or dwelt among his people, not just the children of Israel, but among all peoples of this world, how? In the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 14 says, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a chance to behold the very glory of God. Remember God's, uh, remember Jesus' words in John 14, 9. He who has seen me has seen the Father. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So in these verses, we see God's desire, we see God's presence, and we see God's glory, all revealed in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what was the significance or purpose of the tabernacle itself? Come to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. The tabernacle, as much as it served a purpose, an immediate purpose for the children of Israel, it was pointing to something else in the future. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 1. And the author of Hebrews says, Hebrews 8.1, this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest, that's Jesus Christ, who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. Look at verse 5. Who served the copy and shadow of the heavenly things as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. Come to chapter 9 and verse 1, Hebrews 9 and 1. Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary. Verse 2, for a tabernacle was prepared. And then it talks about the different sections of the tabernacle. Come down to verse 6 of chapter 9 of Hebrews. Now when these things had thus been prepared, the priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle, performing the services. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. But look at verse 11. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands. Verse 12. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. So what is the author of Hebrews saying here? You know, his audience would have been very familiar with Moses' tabernacle, the Exodus tabernacle. And some of them at this point in their lives were even thinking that perhaps they should go back to that system of worship. But the author of Hebrews is saying, 
Yes, that tabernacle was great and glorious after all. God is the one who told them to build it and God is the one who gave them the instructions for it. But it was not the end or the ultimate. It was very limited in its scope. You know, the priests could go in and into the Holy of Holies, only the high priest could go in and that too just uh, once a year. There was a veil of separation between God and man. But that earthly tabernacle, all those instructions that God gave to Moses and the children of Israel were pointing to something far better and greater. And the author of Hebrews calls it the true tabernacle not made with human hands or earthly materials. And as we read in chapter 9 verse 11, the heavenly tabernacle of the great high priest Jesus Christ that allows us to enter into the Holy of Holies, but not just enter there, but actually live there, dwell there. Because as he says in chapter 10, verse 20, we have a new, we have a living way open for us. So ultimately the tabernacle isn't about the structure or the materials or the furnishings or anything else. Those things were important and served a purpose. But ultimately the tabernacle was pointing to this person, Jesus Christ, who would come as the perfect high priest, who would once for all enter into the Holy of Holies. Why? The end of verse 12, so that he could obtain eternal redemption. The priests were able to obtain redemption atonement for a temporary time, for a day, for a year. But this man, Jesus Christ, was able to obtain eternal redemption. So what's the application for us? Well, firstly, have we responded to God's desire to dwell with us? In other words, have we accepted His free gift of salvation and become His children, believing that He has paid the penalty for our sins? You know, our sins that separated us from the presence of God, our sins that were sending us to an eternity full of the wrath of God. But because of God's desire, not our desire, but because of God's desire, He made a way for us to come back to Him. And that's the first question, have we responded, have we accepted, have we made use of that way? Secondly, for those of us who have responded to God's desire to dwell with us, are we reflecting His glory in our own lives? His love, His grace, His compassion, His truth, His faithfulness, His mercy, His generosity. When the world looks at us, do they see the communicable attributes of God in us? And thirdly, are we living our life always conscious of His presence in us and with us? His presence that leads us, His presence that guides us, that comforts us, that corrects us, that encourages us, that helps us. His presence that never leaves us, even as we are on our journey to the promised land. The tabernacle, God's desire to dwell with man in His presence for God's glory. You know, the story of the Bible is all about God wanting to dwell with man. And in a formal way or in an official way, it begins back in Exodus with God dwelling among people in a tabernacle in a tent. But if you look at the history of Israel, when we come to the book of Kings, 1 Kings chapter 8 specifically, we find God dwelling in the temple that Solomon built, a grand, luxurious structure. But then when we come to the New Testament, we find Jesus Christ calling his body the temple. 
You know, in John chapter 2, verse 19, he tells the religious leaders, destroy this temple and I will raise it up again in three days. And verse 21 tells us that he was talking about his own body. Now, why would Jesus call his own body the temple? Well, it's actually quite appropriate because the temple was supposed to be the meeting place between God and man. And the ultimate meeting place between God and man was in Jesus Christ. But then it gets even more amazing when we come to the epistles in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16. The apostle Paul, when writing to the Corinthian believers, says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God? How can we be the temple of God? Well, the verse tells us. Because for those of us who are God's children, we have God's presence living with us, living in us, His very Holy Spirit. So we have the Exodus tabernacle, we have Solomon's temple, we have Jesus' body as the temple, and now we are the temple. But how does it all end? I'll close with this in Revelation chapter 21. If we could turn there, Revelation chapter 21. Here John is speaking of the New Jerusalem, what we would think of as heaven, the capital city of heaven as it were. And what does he say? Revelation chapter 21 and verse 3. John says, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them, and be their God. Here we see God's desire. When the end of everything is culminating, when the new heavens and the new earth have been created, John says, God's desire is the same as it was in the beginning. He wants to dwell with his people. And in fact, John uses that word, behold the tabernacle of God. So God's desire to dwell with his people is seen even here as well. But come down to verse 22. You know, we have the Exodus tent, we have, Mo we have Solomon's temple, we have Jesus' body as the temple, we have our bodies as the temple. What's the temple going to be in heaven? Revelation 21, verse 22. John says, I saw no temple in it. Well, the entire Bible, you've been talking about temples. But what happens? Well, there's a reason. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Remember, the temple was all about the presence of God. But in heaven, heaven is filled with the limitless eternal presence of God. There's no need of a temple. So we find God's desire, we find God's presence. What about God's glory? Well, look at verse 23. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. Exactly where everything began in Exodus with God's desire, God's presence, and God's glory is where everything ends in Revelation, with God's desire, God's presence, and God's glory. Because that is the story of the Bible. That is who our God is. And our prayer is this morning, and even as we prepare to take communion, that each of us, that we have experienced God's desire, God's presence, and God's glory in our own lives.